Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Well, you welcome you back to the Determined Truth Podcast. Today we're going to be studying John chapter 3. In chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, we noted that the Jewish ritual vessels in the Jewish temple both find their fulfillment in Jesus, the result of which unveils Jesus' glory. Now in chapter 3, we have two accounts, and there's going to be a parallel structure to these two accounts. They're going to both begin with a dialogue. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, will be a dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's going to then be followed in verses 16 through 21 with a commentary by John himself. The second part, then, is a dialogue between John's disciples and John himself. Uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. And then that's also going to be followed by a commentary by John in verses 31 through 36. The first one is now Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by, by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these, th- these signs unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, Well, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know, and we bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes may have eternal life. The passage here in John chapter 3 begins with the the Greek word de. This is a way of connecting something to something previously, and its generic translation is the word but. If it means but, then Nicodemus is in contrast with those who did not entrust himself to Jesus at the end of chapter 2. But the word can also mean and. Again, it's just a simple conjunction, conjunction that's continuing a narrative or continuing the previous section. If it means and, then Nicodemus is just like them. Now, at the end of John chapter 2, we had the word, Jesus did not entrust himself to these men because Jesus knew what was in a man. And then chapter 3 verse 1 begins, and there was a man from the Pharisees. So the connection with the word man, used twice at the end of chapter 2, verse 25, and the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, and the use of the conjunction de, seems to indicate that this Nicodemus episode is is at least connected to what happened at the end of chapter 2. Either Nicodemus is contrasting those to whom Jesus did not entrust, or Nicodemus is like those among whom Jesus did not entrust. Now, many readers of the Gospel of John today will want to go, well, no, it's got to be Nicodemus as a contrast because he's not like those guys. After all, we know Nicodemus is a good guy. But maybe at this point in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus is not yet a good guy. Maybe Nicodemus is one of those that Jesus is not entrusting himself to. After all, Nicodemus still doesn't seem to understand. Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, that doesn't mean that Nicodemus won't understand these things. But at this point in time, he doesn't understand these things. 
Now, in order to fully understand what's going on here as well, it's important to note that chapters 3 through 5 have four different conversations in which Jesus is going to get into the heart of individuals. Nicodemus in chapter 3, a Samaritan woman in chapter 4, a Gentile official, and then a man at the pool in Bethesda in chapter 5. Taking chapter 3 and 4 together, we have these two conversations here at the beginning. One's with the teacher of Israel, and the one in chapter 4 is going to be with a Samaritan woman. One's an official, the other's a heretic. One's a man, the other's a woman. I mean, look at the contrast. Nicodemus is named, the Samaritan woman is not. Uh, Nicodemus is a man, she's a woman. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. He is the teacher of Israel, she has no status at all. Nicodemus requests to speak with Jesus, but Jesus requests to speak with a woman. Nicodemus meets Jesus in Jerusalem, but Jesus meets her in the country. Nicodemus meets uh, Jesus at night, but Jesus meets her in the middle of the day. Nicodemus is a man that's socially respectable, but she's a woman who's immoral. Nicodemus misunderstands, but the woman comes to believe. Now, Nicodemus, as I mentioned again, is going to appear twice later on in the gospel, and maybe there's a progression. The second time is going to be more more of a public event, and then third, it's going to be in the full daytime when he is responsible for the burial of Jesus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, perhaps even apparently even a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a Jewish supreme court. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Night might have a subtle notion of spiritual darkness, of unbelieving, and even of untruth in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus might be coming to Jesus at night for safety, for protection. So he can kind of, I want to follow you, and I'm not sure who you are. I don't know, but uh, it's not safe to, to speak with you in public. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we've come to know that you're from God, for no one can do these things unless you, uh, unless God is with him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is very interesting because this is often in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even John, where someone will make a statement or a comment to Jesus, and then he answers them with something that has, seems to have nothing to do with what the conversation was about. Hey, Jesus, I think you're from God. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? I'm just asking, you know, are you really from God or not? But Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus something significant. To see the kingdom of God is to participate in the kingdom of God and of the end of the age. But for Jesus, it's different. In order to see the kingdom of God, you have to embrace the kingdom of God and become part of it by being born again. Remember, Jesus is going to tell Pilate in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. So even Nicodemus, this respectable teacher, you you can't enter at Nicodemus without being born again, or maybe a better translation would be being born from above. Nicodemus, as we mentioned already, is going to misunderstand Jesus. He's going to take Jesus literally and say, well, wait a minute, how can one enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus is going to explain the misunderstanding. Nicodemus, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being born of the water and of the Spirit, without which you cannot enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus says one must be born of water and the Spirit, he seems to now replace the notion of being born from above. In other words, being born of the water and the Spirit is synonymous with being born from above or being born again. The the Greek construction for water and the Spirit seems to favor them as one actual thing. And very likely we have in mind Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, where God promises that when he resurrects his people in the last days, he'll pour out a spirit and give them a new heart. Water and spirit then signal a new birth or a new cleansing. In other words, Gary Burge says, Jesus is here pointing to the dawning of a new eschatological era. This is why Nicodemus doesn't understand it. Jesus is not necessarily saying that Nicodemus must experience this in full now, but only that such must occur before you can see the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 7, Jesus says, Don't marvel that I said to you, 
which is singular, that you must be born again. And the second time, the word you is plural. There seems to be other people there. This isn't a, a private dialogue with just Jesus and Nicodemus. After all, he said in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God. And Jesus' answer is, look, you must be born again. But being born again, of course, is a work to, of the Spirit. It's a work of new creation that we're going to see happening later on in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus then asks, how can these things be? Jesus answers, we speak what we know, and we bear witness what we have seen. And yet right now, you don't receive our witness. If I told you earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe even if I tell you heavenly things? Now, interestingly, Jesus equates himself with the raising up of the serpent. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the wilderness, Moses lifted up a serpent, and everyone who was sick or injured was healed by looking at the snake. So Jesus says, so also the Son of Man will be lifted up. And we know that lifted up for us is going to refer to Jesus' crucifixion. The, the word for lifted up is an important word in the Gospel of John, and it's always used relating to his impending death. There's a double meaning here then, his lifting up on the cross as well as his lifting up in exaltation. Isaiah 52 verse 13 through Isaiah 53 is perhaps one of the most significant Old Testament prophecies. The passage begins in 52 verse 13, which says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Jesus' being lifted up was actually on the cross. As the Israelites in the wilderness gained life by looking at the snake raised up, so too by looking at Jesus on the cross, people will gain life. Now John says then in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now it's difficult actually to know exactly where the dialogue breaks off. Of course, my red letter Bible has verses 16 through 21 in red letters as though it was spoken by Jesus, but there seems to be an indication that chapter 3, verse 16 is actually John's own comments. It doesn't matter ultimately, but note that the, that the cross is spoken of as a past event, that God gave his only begotten son. The phrase gave is never found in the lips of Jesus. Also, the idea of believing in his name and living by the truth seems to be the words of John. For God so loved the world, John says, the coming of the Son was the result of the love of the Father. And God's love is not restricted to Israel. It's for the world. The term world means the realm of humanity in opposition to God. In 1 John chapter 2, John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the word world seems to be this cosmic term uh, referring to all humanity. For God so loved all humanity that he gave his one and only Son. The one who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This believer has new birth in John 3, verses 3 through 5. And now in verses 16, 15 and 16, he has eternal life. And in verse 17, he's saved. The alternative is to perish, chapter 3, verse 16. Or to lose one's life, chapter 12, verse 25. Or to be doomed to destruction in John 17, verse 12. There is no third option, as the scholar D.A. Carson says. You either believe and uh, have eternal life, or you don't believe and you perish. Verse 17, for God did not send him into the world to condemn the world. This is the same thing that verse 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, because he didn't send him into the world to condemn the world. 
It's just a negative of the previous statement. It contrasts the idea of Jesus saving in verse 16 now with condemning in verse 17. The reality, however, is this. God didn't send the Son to condemn the world, but by not believing, the person is condemned. Verse 18, the one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe in him is condemned already. Judgment in John is based upon one's response to Jesus. Verses 19 through 21 then provide us with this conclusion. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light, and his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Here's this great imagery of light. Light has come into the world in John chapter 1, we're told. But men love darkness rather than the light. You know, why do people not believe in Jesus? Why, how can they reject the truth of the gospel, this beautiful story about God's love for mankind? And the answer is because their deeds are evil. Deeds in darkness are often associated, good deeds with light, bad deeds with darkness. The contrast then between verses 16 and 18 is that God loved the world, yet men loved the darkness. The light is the revelation which the people need to have active faith, but they refuse the revelation of God in Jesus Christ because their deeds were evil. The one who does the truth, John says then, is the one who comes in the light in order that his works may be manifested as having been done by God. The second part of John chapter 3 then is a, is a dialogue between John the Baptist and some of his disciples. Verse 22 says, After these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there was spending some time with, with them and baptizing. And John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he's also baptizing, and many are coming to him. John answered and said to them, A man can, can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. Now verses 31 through 36 appear to be John's commentary on, on this particular episode, so let's continue. It says, He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has said his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So we have a dialogue between John the Baptist and his disciples. Jesus goes into the countryside of Judea. And John happened to be baptizing, and Jesus was also baptizing. But apparently, many are flocking to Jesus. And John the Baptist's disciples are like, wait, wait a minute, what's going on? So John begins to explain to his disciples, look, he's the bridegroom, and, and I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. So I might be the best man, but it's important that I decrease and Jesus increases. He must increase, John says, and I must decrease. The writer of the Gospel of John then explains verses 31 uh, and following what happened. Jesus is from above. And he has simply set his seal. He certifies that God is true. Now, seals are used when there's a testimony. 
and, and they were used to seal or secure or authenticate. Uh, here, in this instance, it's the latter meaning that's, that's significant, that he has set his seal, he's authenticating. He, he's telling us what the truth is. And the Father has given the Spirit to him. Remember, of course, the significance of that with the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist says, I know that's the Messiah. I know he's the one because the Spirit has come upon him and remained upon him. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Of course, John's looking forward to what he knows, is, what his readers know is going to happen. Jesus is going to give the Spirit. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.